Welcome to the Diabetes Canada Healthcare Huddle, a podcast that invites healthcare professionals to listen in on the discussion as we explore a diabetes-related topic. Each episode, we will present a case study, then have a conversation with an expert about the clinical challenge. Finally, we will revisit the case and see how we can apply our new knowledge and tools. My name is Dr. Sarah Stafford. I'm an endocrinologist in Surrey, BC, and I'm joined by my colleague, Gail McNeil, who's a diabetes educator and clinical nurse specialist from Toronto. So today on the podcast, I think we have a relatively unique topic, and I'm excited for the conversation ahead of us. Gail, often when we're taking care of people with diabetes, we're really focused on the patient. Um, And that's really appropriate, right? We're focused on helping the patient, the individual in front of us who has diabetes, and how can we address their journey and help with their care. Um, But the patient doesn't live in isolation, right? They live within a family, um, within their community. And often, there are many other factors at play, and particularly, you know, understanding and recognizing the role of the parents, in taking care of a child with type one diabetes is is really important in understanding their unique challenges. I think so too, Sarah. I've worked with a lot of parents who have children with type one diabetes and their concerns are so paramount and they're they're all consuming. And sometimes as an educator, we're never sure, particularly when they're first diagnosed, very, very uh, difficult time, I think for a lot of the parents. And then we always get the questions, how do I prepare for my child to go to the first birthday party or the overnight? Or the other aspect is the hypoglycemia at school. They're always so concerned about that. So I'm just ex- delighted to have Terzina with us today so that we can see the insights and maybe get some tidbits and, and tips for educators to help the parents of children with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, that's perfect. So we're really lucky today. We have Terezina here today, and she is the mother of a child with type 1 diabetes. Her life was forever changed after her son was diagnosed at the age of nine in July 2021. After taking a year off from her career as sales and marketing professional in the technology field, she decided to join Diabetes Canada as a coordinator on the government affairs and advocacy team. Terezina has spent the last six months supporting the execution and delivery of the federal government's launch of the Framework for Diabetes in Canada, as well as meeting with decision makers and volunteer advocates in several provinces to try and improve the lives of people living with and affected by diabetes. Terezina lives in Waterloo, Ontario, with her husband and two sons. She enjoys traveling near and far with her family, trying to keep up with her kids on the ski slopes during the winters and dragon boating all summer. Welcome, Terezina. Hi, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. I I think your perspective is incredibly important. And as I mentioned, you know, as healthcare providers, we're very focused on the patient. Um, But the child with type 1 diabetes, you know, this is a really important aspect to consider the role of the parents and the impact of diabetes on the family as a whole, and how we can support the family um, so that the family can better support the patient as well. so why don't we kind of jump in and, and let's start at the beginning, which should be, you know, how was your experience at the time of diagnosis of diabetes? And, and based on that experience, what kind of advice would you have for healthcare providers about how to support families at the time of diagnosis? Yeah, I think like every other parent who's gone through this, it was unexpected, shocking, um, you kind of, you go through denial, you know, like, no, this is just, it's a mistake. And you kind of, um, you question everything and, um, and you, 
you don't, you can't help yourself, but think about, oh my gosh, this is, this is forever. How are we going to adjust? Um, and you're trying to learn insulin carb ratio and you're trying to learn how to count carbs and you're trying to learn how to give your kid a needle multiple times a day and trying to, trying to explain that this is all going to be okay when in the parent's mind, it's, it's never going to be the same. And that's, that's a huge shock to the system. It really affects you mentally. And I, I only wish, I mean, and to be fair, I should say he was diagnosed during COVID. So things were, I assume, much different in, um, in care than maybe they would have been had he been diagnosed before COVID. But, um, you know, he could only have one parent there. So I was by myself, right? Um, I had to leave my other son with a, with a babysitter and my, and my husband during the day when we were in the hospital that whole time. Um, you're sleep deprived. You're, you're trying to understand and make sense of all this. And I think we got to, I think the social worker popped in maybe once during the three days to bring a, a, a little gift for Theo to, you know, some Lego to cheer him up. But again, it was all about Theo, right? It was all about the patient, um, which is important, but I, I would have, I would have really liked it if somebody had taken the time to just sit down with me, the caregiver and say, Hey, how are you feeling right now? How do you feel about what this is going to mean for you for the next few weeks, for the next couple of years? You know, um, I didn't realize I'd be having to wake up multiple times a night like I did with a newborn which again, that lack of sleep really impacts a person. Um, and it really impacts your decision-making ability and the way you can retain information. So there's so much information coming at you in the hospital and you're trying to remember it all. And you're trying to remember everything when you go back home, but without that, without that sleep, it's just, it, it felt impossible. Um, you're just like in a, in a haze. And then the other thing, I reached out for support on and never got was how do I help my son deal with his mental health? Um, you know, we saw some tendencies of OCD come out in him shortly after diagnosis. Um, you know, how do I deal with his anxiety around the fact that his life is forever changed? Um, there just, there just wasn't the resources. There wasn't the help. I had to, I had to go out, online and, and find that we had to find a psychotherapist for, for my son to help him through that, to help even me and my husband through that as well. Um, so it just would have been great if there's more, more resources, like, you know, a social worker or, or access to a psychotherapist right after diagnosis, like not having to wait a year, because after a year, you, you kind of, you kind of get it right. Um, but just immediately having that access would have been very beneficial. 
Yeah, and I, and I think you're entirely correct, right? Mental health is incredibly important um, and affects all of the aspects of care of diabetes and for the family as well. And so, you know, some clinics are really fortunate and they have a psychologist kind of embedded right within the clinic. And that's an incredible resource as well as a social worker, but that isn't available everywhere. Or unfortunately, the waits are really long for that support. And so I think you're right, recognizing, you know, that initial maybe trauma might be the right word to use because mm-hmm. um, it's a trauma for the family and for the patient. They've all of a sudden had this unexpected diagnosis that is impacting every decision that is made from that step forward um, and recognizing that as, you know, almost equal in importance to the, the healthcare that's provided for the diabetes itself. If that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so then, so we've kind of come through that initial diagnosis phase and um, that initial support and what's needed. And then, you know, as you kind of re-enter life and, and you're absolutely right that in the time of COVID, nothing was really normal. Um, mm-hmm. But as we re-engage in normal life and school and social relationships, um, what kind of other challenges did you encounter? School was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, thank goodness for the, the CGM, the Continuous Glucose Monitoring System, I could at least I had visibility to his blood sugars. Um, You know, I had temporarily left my my role, my career so that I could be available to him to go give him injections um, whenever he didn't have a nurse. We were lucky we did have a nurse who could come in for one of the two nutrition breaks per day, uh, which is better than a lot of kids I think we're getting during the last couple of years. and, and I knew I, I made myself available. I, I had the luxury of being able to do that. Um, my, our family had that luxury. Um, you know, we had a plan of care. I talked to the teachers. I talked to the principal. They were all very helpful in that respect. Um, so those, those were great uh, resources to have access to um, during that time of transition. So you mentioned continuous glucose monitoring, and I I do think this has really been practice changing um, to have this technology available, especially with um, technology where the parent can follow uh, at home, Mm -hmm. right? Having that CGM data appearing on their phone at home. So when the child is not with them or even at night, right, when the child is in bed. Uh, you think about, you know, no longer having to go into the room and wake up the child to check their sugar, but you can just look at your phone and see um, what is their sugar? Are they going low? You know, have that reassurance. Um, Not everybody has access to that. Um, Mm -hmm. How important is CGM to you as a parent? And and what do you think we need to do to improve access to that technology? It's Um, life-changing. I can't imagine dealing with this this illness, you know, without the CGM. Um, I think it, we've saw, we saw some great announcements coming from several provinces over the last month with their, with their budgets. They're going to support CGM funding. They're going to make it available for people living with diabetes, um, in some cases, both type one and type two, which is amazing. Um, this, this allows me to go to sleep at night. You know, I can, I can rest assured that if he goes low or goes high, I'm going to be woken up with an alert and I can go check on him. Um, I can, I can watch his blood sugars while he's at school. I can send him off to a birthday party and know that he's going to have the cupcake, but it's okay. We don't have to constantly be finger poking him because we have the CGM and we can anticipate what's going to happen and, and what kind of insulin requirements he's going to need. It is, it is so important 
For me, I think the CGM is honestly even more important than the insulin pump. It is the number one tool to help the patient and their caregivers manage, manage diabetes. Yeah, and I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more about the importance of the continuous glucose monitor. And I think we all need to continue to advocate for universal access for this technology, certainly for everyone with type 1 diabetes and, you know, certainly has roles outside of type 1 diabetes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work that Diabetes Canada does is really important in, in that advocacy with the government level as well. Um, because you're right, you want to be able to send your kids out to do all those normal things that they want to experience that birthday party and field trip and, and things like camp, right? So, um, camp is a really poor, important part of youth and kids get to go away and have these independent experiences and parents also get a little break where their kids are away for a week um, having all these exciting experiences and when your your kids have type 1 diabetes it's kind of scary to send them off uh, and put them in another environment in the care of other people um, and that's why it's, it's really fortunate that Diabetes Canada supports the diabetes camps or decamps um, where kids are able to go and be in a setting where they get to have that camp experience, but be under the care of um, healthcare professionals with nurses and physicians and camp leaders who are trained in caring for people with type one diabetes. Um, Because I know in my experience, when I volunteered at those camps, you know, it's a really incredible opportunity for the kids um, to go to camp and also to connect with other kids with type one diabetes and, and see that they're all able to do these things together. Um, And probably also really important for the parents to get that you know, week off, right, where they've been living with the stress of diabetes in their life and every decision for such a long time. And you get that little break there where, you know, your, your kids are under good care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and um, Theo hasn't participated in the away camp yet. Um, but uh, I'm hoping he'll get to that point where he'll want to participate in that. Because like you said, not just for the break that the parents get, which is amazing because you know they're going to be taken care of by people who know what they're doing and how to manage diabetes, but also because he he will he will gain the independent independence and the confidence to take care of himself and meet other people like him and realize that, you know, this is not going to stop him. And it hasn't stopped all these other kids. And there's nothing abnormal about him. And that's the way I felt actually when we did the family camp um, just about a year after his diagnosis, uh, camps opened up again. And um, I can't tell you how therapeutic it was for me. It was the first time I was surrounded by other parents who were taking care of their type one children. And we just had a conversation about what our lives were like and what it meant to be a parent of a type one child and just really encouraging stories about travel and sports and life carries on. And this is, this is doable, right? I'm starting to get teary eyed right now, but, and I did in the session too. I, 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 it was the first time I could cry with other people instead of, you know, by myself or just with my husband, it was so impactful. And I highly recommend any family who's dealing with a type one diagnosis to get out to both camps, the away and the family, but, but at least to do that weekend together, I feel like was just, it was a a changing point for us. 
Yeah, and I think that's it's just another really wonderful opportunity, right, to provide support for the family. And yes. I think that's really the message that we're trying to um, come to in this conversation is that looking at the family as a whole, how do we support the family in that initial phase? Um, how do we support the child and the family ongoing and managing the day-to-day challenges with type 1 diabetes? And I, and I think your insights um, and that, you know, real lived experience is incredibly important. Um, in understanding that perspective, um, Gail, for you, what what do you take away from this conversation? I heard very clearly what Zena said at the very beginning is that it's such a diagnosis, it's such an impact on the entire family, and that we should be looking at the family as a whole unit. We do tend to separate the patient out right from from everyone else. And very clearly, I heard you saying that about the family. We should pay more attention and the urgency of it, not waiting a year and then coming back and things, but right at the time of diagnosis. And I, I hear that the idea when you said when you went to the camp and you hear the community, it's like a community of connections, right? So important. We talk about type one individuals being connected, but the parents need to be connected too, because they're such an important supporter. And we have worked as educators, we've worked on the, what we, you, you mentioned it about the, the care plan for the school. We've been very clear as to have that support at the school. So I'm glad you mentioned that along the way. But I think the mental health issue and taking time, even as we're going along, okay, so we, we talk about it at the very beginning, but do we talk and support the parent at year two and year three and year four? And I heard you saying very clearly, please support the family all along and look at us at a, as a whole is what I'm hearing. So thank you for your insights. I think they're great tips for the educator. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Terezina, for that really, you know, wonderful description of that lived experience from the family perspective. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about it. I think it's very important. Please help us improve our future podcasts by filling out the survey in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions about the episode or about becoming a member of the Diabetes Canada professional section, please email professional.membership at diabetes.ca. Special thanks to Adam Humphreys for providing the music for today's podcast. 